put on the uniform and found myself. I served my country and fell in love with me. Travel the world being all I could be. God showed me here is where I'd be. Always on time. Hello and thank you everyone for joining Women Better and Social Justice Network here on Heroes Media Group. This afternoon I am with Joyce Hitchies. Uh Joyce is a woman veteran. She is the co-founder of of Impact Show and a awesome community leader. She's decided to um, do some tremendous work in the community and been doing this for about two decades. And so I'm just glad that she would come on air with me and talk about, you know, how her community service, her, her service in the military, and how um, the work that she's doing is impacting not only herself, but also the community of women veterans. Thank you so much for joining us, Joyce. How are you doing this afternoon? Oh, I'm doing great. Thank you, Brenda, for um, having me on the show. It's, it's an honor. Yeah, because you've been doing, you know, your work for years. Oh my God, how, you know, years and years, you know, and and working hard in, you know, in the Atlanta area. And I just have so much respect for you. So thank you. Oh, thank you so much. That's very nice. It, it, we so let's do this first because I because our listeners have no idea. Um, that we, how we met and, and, and all of that. But I, I'll get into that a little later. I really want you to talk about, um, your military service and how, um, you know, how you did, why did you decide to join the military? That would be the first question <laughs> that I would have okay. for you. Awesome. Okay. Well, my father was a Marine and, um, I was the youngest. So by the time, you know, I came, um, he had just gotten out of the military. Um, we were in Phoenix, Arizona, and he had gotten a job with um, GM as a tool and guy. And also, um, he, you know, was going back to college to complete his degree as well. So um, so I had to move us all to Michigan, uh, Flint, uh, to be specific, and that's where I grew up. Dad was um, a, you know, civic Leader, he was on the board of education, the Flint Board of Education. He won numerous awards. Um, we didn't realize how he, you know the community was impacted until his death, you know, like um, ten years mm-hmm. ago. And like, but at that, you know, he he was like, wow, you know. Of course, I was daddy's little girl, and he took <laughs> us with him, you know, to meet me. So instead of us going to the playground, you know, with the permission, you know, of people he was meeting with. He took us to meetings to show us, you know, what he did in the community and to help us to better engage in it. So we, we actually grew up, you know, going to meetings, learning how to, you know, shake hands, you know, look people in the eye, um, mm. you know, how to dress and present ourselves, you know, because he, he wanted strong women, you know, and, you know, he was like a really excellent dad, you know, and role model. Do you think, uh, and I know that, you know, in retrospect, you know, of the work that your dad was doing, raising uh, you, do you think he was a feminist, that he had some fem- some leanings in the feminist? Oh, you know? definitely, yeah, because he told, you know, because from a little girl, I was interested in the medical field, you know, but I didn't know if I wanted to be a lawyer or a doctor. He wanted me to be a lawyer, 
because in fact, for my 18th birthday, he gave me the LSAT, you know, as a kid, and a thing, right? Okay, I'm like, all right, thanks, Dad. Okay, I get it, you know. But right. um, yes, but he told me, you know, he said, honey, not only, you know, it's it's good if you marry a doctor, but it's even better to become one. Ooh, so, ooh, I like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow, <laughs> that's that's powerful because this would have been like the the uh, the early the late 70s, the mid 70s, early. 70s. When did no. you go in the military? Because I'm trying to oh, figure out things. No, it was like the 90s. <laughs> no, it was a, the 90s. Yeah. Um, okay. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the well, 90s. Mm-hmm. So, you were growing up during the 90s. So, this, because uh, mm-hmm. you were Gulf War era or were you a Gulf War veteran? Mm-hmm. Because that, people don't know that there's a distinction between being an era veteran and being a, uh, a Gulf War era and a Gulf War veteran. One means you physically were serving in combat um, in the Middle East, and the other means you were serving, you were in the military during that time, but you may not have been serving boots on the ground. And so um, can you give us a little bit of that information? Yeah, yeah. yeah, the boots on the ground, no, that was from um, um, one of my dear friends. Um, No, she did that. I was serving in, like, uh, what they did is that the, the people who, they shipped them all to us, so we could like assess them, and then we would ship them out to different other, you know, facilities. So, okay, is that is that answer it? Well, so yes. Well, I, what I was doing was explaining to our listeners that because some of our listeners are civilian, and they don't they don't know the difference between. Um, when someone says they're a Gulf War era veteran or they're a Gulf War veteran. And so I was just giving them that distinction, but I just wanted you to talk about um, your service during that time because I said you were growing up in the 70s because I, I presumed that you were like like me when I was I grew up in, uh, in the, uh, you know, the 70s and 80s and went mm-hmm. into the military in 1987. And so I was in during – the Gulf War, but I was not in the yeah. Middle East. Okay. Okay, I see what you're saying, yeah. Okay, yeah, so that was it, yeah. So what I was saying is that where where I was stationed, they flew people in so we could assess them and then ship them out to other, around, across the United States. And so, yes, but like I said, my um, one of my friends, she was right there in the action. So, oh, wow. Which was very traumatic for her. Yeah, um, Seriously, she, you know, um, she's still healing from it. Wow. So through your work, through your advocacy work and through um, Impact Show, I'm sure you've heard uh, many stories like I have, many narratives. Um, I call them first-person narratives because I want to make sure that I'm not hearing from someone else about someone someone else's uh, narrative. So I've gotten, you know, it's just one story that's been passed along. I want to talk specifically to the veteran who has had the experience. And so um, there's, right now we're in the midst of the Me Too movement, um, the Me Too military movement. Um, when I was working specifically in uh, the military sexual trauma community, uh, we were talking about past the, MJ, the Military Justice Improvement Act. So all of these things are kind of happening Interestingly, alongside of the things that are happening in the civilian world with the Me Too, Me Too movement, and so sometimes we don't get to see that full picture because, uh, one, people perceive that the military is handling their stuff. That's the first uh. misconception. And then the second um, 
thing is that most people don't read military.com unless they have someone serving. And so that is not part of mainstream news. But um, without being too graphic, do you, uh, can you tell us why you decided to um, do some of the work that you're doing specifically related to Me Too and military veteran women advocacy? Oh, yes. Um, um, after I was a medic and nurse, um, you know, I, I finished up um, the rest of my schooling and I became a nuclear medicine technologist. Um, I went to the Deputy School of Health Sciences. Um, that is a rare field. Well, you know, at the time there was less than 20% uh, females in that field. Mm. So, wow. um, yeah, yeah. So where I was stationed, again, I was the only nuclear medicine technologist in a 150-mile radius. So um, I took on a lot of responsibility, seriously, I, you know, responsibility. And um, I was only like one of two females who were in an authoritative position at the hospital. So um, my um, husband had just passed away, and I was raising my um, toddler, um, you know, by myself. And um, we had just exchanged... Um, you know, chief, um, and this guy had a thing against women in authority. He did not like women in authority. In fact, our, um, was a CO, she, you know, in front, he tried to embarrass her in front of, you know, the whole platoon, and she had to, you know, basically check him, you know, in front of us. So after that, you know, uh-huh. we, you know, we noticed that this guy, you know, had some issues with women, you know what I'm saying? So, of course, you know, he, you know, he was over me, you know, so I had my, my own office, I had an assistant, I had a secretary, um, I had a nuclear medicine and MRI. And, um, he was, you know, he was basically a hands-on, if you know what I mean, you know, kind of yeah. person, especially when it came to the ladies. And even though we would all go out together, you know, and, you know, and have dinner, he had a beautiful wife, three kids, but he was not a very moralistic person. So mm-hmm. he tried something on me one day, but, you know, my um, my um, husband, he was a, um, he had a, a black belt in Taekwondo and he was special forces, so he had taught me a couple of moves. And um, so I did it, and so in retaliation of me defending myself, you know, he tried to ruin my career. And um, mm-hmm. he did some really underhanded things, and um because I said no and because I tried to protect myself. And um, people knew, you know, the type of person that he was, and they really found out, you know, what it, it, what ended up happening is that uh, almost 20 people wrote a letter on my behalf, you know, stating wow. that this guy was out of control, you know, he was abusing his authority, you know, and, he, you know, he, you know, you know, so anyway... What ended up happening also was that uh, one of my patients, who happened to be an O5 uh, naval officer, he wrote me a letter of recommendation. Hmm. So, um, yeah, so the CO, who um, finally said, you know, enough is enough, you know, we're going to have to put a stop to you trying to get revenge on her, you know what I'm saying? You've done enough damage, you know? So um, by this time, I have been so disenchanted because, um, I, um, you know, the charge, the command sergeant major, um, you know, you know, came to my office and spoke to me and he told me, 
if you tell anybody this, I will deny it. But even though we know that this guy is in the wrong, we're going to protect him because it's, we spent more money on him than we did you. And wow. And kind of, yeah, and that was my aha moment, like, even though I have an impeccable record, you know, even though, you know, you know that he's in the wrong, you're going to protect him. I said, I think it's time for me to get out, you know, because I was going to, you know, do my 20, 25, you know, and, you know, and, you know, and excel. But that really kind of deflated me, you know, especially because, you know, I had a toddler to raise. I said, you know, well, they didn't actually be in the military. You know, I chose right. to be in the military, and now it's time for me to get out, especially after you just told me. I said, uh, thank you for telling you this. And that has made my decision even easier, right? So, yeah. like, you know, and he, you know, so when he got me, you know, you know, um, into the room with all the little big, you know, all the big wigs, and you know, he tried to, you know, lay down the law. If you don't, you know, do this, we're going to kick you out. And I looked at her and I said, "Go for it," you know. And everyone was like, oh, "Are you serious?" Because they knew how much they would lose. You know what I'm saying? Right. You know, if they lost me. And I, but like I said, by that time I said, okay, let's do this. You know, I'm ready to get out. <laughs> and so wow. he was on the receiving end of a lot of hot water, you know, because again, you know, they, you know, they, it was just pure chaos, you know, until the CEO said, okay, enough, you know, get her out because she wants to be out, you know, and what ended up happening is that they literally caught him with his pants down with his secretary. Okay. Uh-huh. Wow. That. Okay, so you know how that ended, okay? Then the second thing is that he had to, in front of the platoon again, give me that letter of accommodation presented to me from the 05, again, to the platoon after he tried to, you know, put my name in the mud. But like I said, you know, I learned a valuable lesson because um, one of the, one of my supposed mentors was a lady doctor, you know, and I had told her, of what, you know, what is, that we're going on. And she told me, oh, oh, just, you know, just quiet, you know, just be quiet about it. It'll go away. And, you know, I learned some valuable lessons is that one, when people give you advice, you know, listen to them and, you know, and look at why they're giving you that advice. You know what I'm saying? If you didn't have, if she didn't have a tech, she didn't have a job. You see what I'm saying? So she right. wanted me to just kind of sweep it under the door. And then her age, you know, she was in her, like, was it mid-60s, you know, or late, well, actually late 60s by that time. So, you know, she was came from that generation where, oh, it'll go away if you don't discuss it, you know what I'm saying? And so... Yeah, you know, that, that that's, been, that was, that's been one of the bigger challenges, I think, within the veteran women, specifically community, is women who, um, who have that type of behavior where they tell you, you know, one, suck it up, two, you know, it wasn't that that bad, or or three, you know, I had to deal with it and this is you know, and so, you know, everybody should have to deal with it and, and, and but just keep going on and doing your job and without complaining, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And so uh I and I hate and pardon me for interjecting, but I really want you to get into that a little a little bit deeper because people perceive that because either two things. One, women, you can't work with women. It's so hard. It's impossible. And we're going to debunk that a little later. But but what people don't know is that the reason that there can be challenges within working with women is not that it's the caddy. It's this kind of behavior 
where women mm-hmm. take the side of the men and present mm-hmm. that you should just either give them what they want mm-hmm. and without any, you know, problem or give them what, or once something happens to just act like it, you know, like that's just part of the, the program. So talk a little bit more about that if you, if you will. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, cause again, you know, I'm, a, you know, I'm in her office and, you know, again, like literally my jaw just dropped to the floor cause I'm like, excuse me, you know, but again, this goes back to being raised by a strong father figure and my mother was, we call my mom the little general. My mother, highly intelligent, did not play, you know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. she is still, is still in us, you know, a self-awareness as well. So, you know, mm-hmm. I had two strong role models. So, you know, and I knew, you know, hey, I don't have to put up with this. You know, I can, you know, I know what's right. I know what's wrong. You know, and I, mm-hmm. and I said, I know it's going to be, a, you know, a challenge. I know it's going to be a fight. And I know it may be a losing battle, but I'm going to do it. Because if I don't say something, and again, this might happen to somebody else. You yes. know? And, you know, and, you know, and I walked, you know, and I told her, with all due respect, I'm doing what's going to be best for me. You know, and I, you know, and I walked out. And, wow. you know, like I said, I, you know, seriously, you know, and it was like, <laughs> it was, it was a difficult time. And, but, you know, I have a strong spiritual, you know, belief, you know, everything happens for a reason. And, you know, it doesn't kill you, make you stronger. And it does, you know, it may take a while to heal from those because, you know, I, you know, like years later, um, like recently, um, we had the honor of the military, was it MOAA, Military Officers Association, whatever. Yes. 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 Invited us, invited, um, you know, my organization to have a table, you know, at the Smithsonian. And, you know, I was telling one of my board members who already lives in DC that for some reason I got real edgy, you know, to thinking, you know, I'm going to be in that, you know, that room because I was in that room, you know, when, you know, when I told them that I wanted to get, you know, get out, you know, and my peers were all Caucasian older men, you know, and, you know, and that really, you know, and, you know, and I think I got a flashback to that, you know, and so that made me realize how that had affected me even though after the years, even though I was able to fight them off, even though I was able to be vocal and people actually listened to me, the damage had been done. You're listening to WVSJ, the Women's Veterans Social Justice Network. And I think that, that people miss that as well, that as women um, of color, that there's an extra layer of trauma that sometimes happens that's not sexual, um, but uh, it's racial, and that we feel the weight of that in our service. Um, it's not something that, in, in my case, that I expected because I completely didn't expect any of that. But it's something that we experience, and so I, I you know, I really are deeply regretful that you experienced any of the things that you experienced. I'm glad, however, that you came out of it stronger with wisdom and the ability to take that insight to help others. Um, in the fight to, you know, um, change laws and change policy and have visibility for women veteran of all areas and service times and service branches. And so um, tell us a little bit about how, because I know I can, by listening to this this wonderful narrative of 
experiences and and the the traumatic experiences can kind of piece together you know why that you with your father and your mother being strong how that you you decided I want to get into this type of work um but give give us a little bit more insight to our listeners who um to that insight of like what how did all of that shift you to to be wanting to be an advocate because you could have easily left the military and been like you know what I'm getting ready to make this these this, these coins, <laughs> you know, and, and you know, and, and you know, be at the you know senior executive service right now, making paper and just do you know, just doing your thing. But something had to click inside you that um, there was a need, and you wanted to be the person to fulfill that need. Well, um, well, one of the main things is that. Again, you know, he had did his damage because I had I had two job offers before I had gotten out of the military. And, you know, to get, like, you know, again, his final revenge was to make sure that I didn't get any of the jobs because he held the paperwork up for so long that they had mm-hmm. to give the job to somewhere else. Wow. So when I came out of the military, instead of having those cushy jobs, you know, that job, I didn't have any job, you know. But thank goodness, again, you know, I had family, you know, back in Michigan, or I would, you know, I would have been homeless, you know. Mm-hmm. So, and again, I had my father as, you know, as support, you know, you know, to lean on because he understood, you know, what I've been through, and um, we were, we were able to talk about it, you know, and we bonded even more because of that. Mm. So, um, I met. Um, this lady, um, she um, asked me to go through this program that um, okay, it's called Best Project. Um, it merged with the United Way because it was part of the United Way here, and um, <coughs> they taught nonprofits how to become nonprofits. <coughs> really? Wow. <laughs> yes, excellent program. Oh my gosh, um, Jenny Doan, the head of it. She is a phenomenon. Okay, and her. You'll tell me. Tell, tell me a little bit more about that. I'm sorry, dude. That's okay. I'm getting over cold. Um, but, um, <laughs> our apologies. But anyway, yeah. So, one of the ladies that I met. Beautiful spirit. You know, have you ever see, um, heard or spoken with someone who said, I would like to sit down and have a beer with her? And yeah. that was my first <laughs> thought. And I don't even like beer. I don't even drink beer, right? <laughs> but this woman has such a spirit and such a love for veterans. And she, you know, she was a veteran, but, you know, she grew up, you know, with veterans, you know. And, okay. you know, and so <laughs> she just wanted to help, you know, veterans to better themselves. So I said, okay, uh, you know, I'll join your board and um, learn a lot. You know, so I, you know, began volunteering, you know, um, because it's around that time I met her, they didn't know what was causing, you know, my sickness. So, um, mm-hmm. and then they finally diagnosed it with autoimmune syndrome, you know, um, and um, so my doctor retired me because he said, you can't be around, you know, these patients, you know, your immune system's too low, blah, blah, blah. I would sit up and pass out, you know, and then, you know, um, have to be, you know, rushed to the hospital and um, I was getting appendix, what do you call it, um, pancreatitis, 
And I've never been, you know, a, a drink. I've never been able to tolerate a lot of, you know, alcohol. So can we find out I have systemic lupus, um, sarcoidosis, and scleroderma? Mm-hmm. Um, so all of that, you know, and then they found out I had some other, you know, medical issues going on as well. So, again, you know, I got medically retired, so I started volunteering, you know, like full-time and just doing a lot of stuff with nonprofits. And I said, well, hey, I, you know, I want to, you know, I want to form my own nonprofit, you know, to, you know, to help other veterans as well. And so that's how Other Impact, you know, came to be. Wow. That's powerful. It's amazing. It's always amazing to me um, how the, you know, kind of like where the roots are to nonprofits. Every single nonprofit leader that I've spoken with, um, the roots of the nonprofit started in some interesting turn of events and just them just doing things that were natural to, to them and felt right. And then out of that, the desire to lead and, 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 you know, lead others and, and take on a charge to do, to do a specific body of work. And so, um, of impact, uh, tell me, so I, we've kind of got a little bit of the history of, of how impact became, you know, how you decided to get into, um, <clears throat> social impact work in the community and, um, you know, become a nonprofit co-founder. Tell us a little bit about um, of impact show. Tell us about the, you know, the inner workings of what you co-founded. Okay. Well, basically, you know, what my goal was was to try to help the veteran, you know, better themselves so they can, you know, better the community. So, you know, I tried to uh, focus on, like, the four. I, you know, I'm on several boards, and each of these boards fit the criteria of what I'm trying to do, like education. Um, let's see. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, we have education. We have um, employment, well, you know, or, you know, job opportunities, education, housing. Now, we, you know, what we do is we work with um, people who are doing housing, um, Nate Institute. Nate Institute is um, one of the local grassroots organizations in our community, and the founder, um, is, you know, was formerly incarcerated. So he wanted to get back to, you know, the community. I mean, he does some awesome work and has been really awarded, you know, by the community and what he's been able to do. In fact, um, one of the gentlemen... Um, that he have to work with and find a lawyer for because what he does is he'll sit down, you know, write the men that are still incarcerated and, you know, you know, for support and, uh-huh. see, you know, what their needs are. And one of the gentlemen, I, I, it was between 20 and 30 years that he had served and he was actually innocent. So right. they found him a lawyer, you know, wow. and got him out. Um, wow. And he's, yeah, and he's progressed. So now we're working with him because we have an art, you know, recreational art therapy program that is geared towards the um, individual interest of the, um, excuse me, of the veterans. And, you know, what we found out is that veterans and, um, you know, the incarcerated suffer, you know, from the same forms of PTSD, you know, because of the similarities, you know, you know, you know, understand where I'm going with this, of what they've been, you know, they have to go through, you know, especially like, you know, you know, and more time situation and so forth, you know, the 
you know, just being, you know, compartmentalized like that, you know what I'm saying? So, um, we're into, you know, so we're um, in the progress of implementing, you know, recreational art therapy program for their community, you know, as well as the, you know, the family, you know, as a whole. That's awesome. That's yeah, awesome. So, yeah, that's awesome. And and for the listeners who don't understand, um, sometimes, quite quite often, um, we the um, penal system has veterans, both men and yes. women, who are yes. incarcerated, and mm-hmm. some of the challenges that they face um, post military service um, with post traumatic stress and drug addiction or just different different things, um, uh, just a, a myriad of different things, everything from bouncing a check to just, you know, just things that sound like, well, wow, they're in jail because of this. Well, it started as one thing, and as the one thing piled up, they didn't have the money, they didn't have the um, interpersonal uh, skills because of post-traumatic stress and mm-hmm. trauma. They didn't have the interpersonal skills to maybe mitigate that, so they, so they got into more problems and more problems and more problems, and then those problems escalated in some way, shape, form, or fashion, and they ended up in jail. Back mm-hmm. in the 80s and, you know, 70s, 80s, 90s, um, probably even up into 2005 or six, people didn't necessarily ask you if you were a veteran. That was not part of the air quotes intake that I know of. It wasn't mm-hmm. until maybe 2012 or 13. I'm talking about very, very recently when the veterans courts um, had been established and um, people understood to to screen for veterans. And even then they were screening primarily for male veterans and more recently for um, women veterans. So <clears throat> you could go for decades like, um, the person that she was speaking about can go for decades and nobody know that one you're a veteran and two that you're innocent um, because you, because you do once you're in that system it's very hard to scale out of it for anybody let alone um, someone who is a veteran so uh, there's there we we do have some programs now that support veteran better mm-hmm. uh, but there's we have a long way to go just like with everything mm-hmm. and that's why. People like I and Joyce are out here in the community trying to, you know, <clears throat> you know, help those agencies better understand how to how to support the veteran in those in those different types of situations, and at the same time change policies and legislation so that we don't people don't get run into those those insurmountable challenges. And I hope I'm not speaking for you, and 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 it's not accurate. But these are the kind of things that are, you know. That I would I would see the similarities in our work. That no, you're right. No, no, you're, you're right on it. No, and again, one of the again one of the boards that I work on, they we have a veterans court here in um, Flint. So again, yeah. and, and that's because of you know what you know exactly what you're saying. You know the need to make sure that these minor, you know, well, you know, yes, you know, you know, you know, against the law, but you know, you know, to try to treat them. And that punished them, you know, and then mm-hmm. further get them into a situation where they really can't get out of. So exactly. So, you know, like I said, I'm glad that we do have that. But I was saying, um, as far as impact, our mission is to provide resources geared toward education, employment, mental health, and transportation to veterans and their families through events, programs, public awareness, and shared resources. So basically, you know, I get a phone call. Someone calls me and say, you know, well, you know, the veteran needs this, 
or if the veteran themselves, you know, gets on the phone, then I have to guide them. You know, sometimes I'll even go with them to veteran services to, you know, to help to try to expedite things or that I already have that paperwork at the office. So, that you know, it's already filled out. You know, all they have to do is go there, you know, present it to them, you know, to make it easier, you know, because that's what I would have liked for someone to have done, you know, when I first got out, you know, instead of me having to learn yes. all this on my own, you know. Right. Right, and walk through it by yourself because people don't understand that that it's daunting. You because when we're in the military, everything is right there at our fingertips, and we have a <clears throat> we'll have a uh, our our sergeant, a first sergeant, um, telling us like, "Oh, you run into this challenge, go over here," and then it's usually right there physically on the base, and you can find it, and the resources are right there. Once you get out of the military. It's like you don't have a platoon leader. You don't have a sergeant, you know, saying, go over here and go over there. And so, one, you don't have somebody checking up on you to tell you that, hey, you, that might cause you some problems. And then, two, um, if you do get into some challenges, you, who do you go to? So then the veteran isolates, and if they have post-traumatic stress, they isolate even more, and they may self-medicate, and so then there's all of these other challenges. But having a peer... What I, what, and, and this is something that medical science has already proven, um, but having a peer, especially after a catastrophic um, event, which people won't understand me saying this, but exiting the military emotionally can be catastrophic. Uh, yes. Psychologically, it can be catastrophic. People don't see it that way, and I know that we probably will get some calls and some messages later about that, but because some folks will say, oh, it was the best thing and it, I, it was no problem. But we know people ch- having challenges with transitioning who had the best service, had the best service record and, and never had a problem and still struggling post-military three, five, seven, ten, fifteen years later. So it's got to be that it, that something about it um, was catastrophic, whether it was emotional or um, psychological for that person. Um, because it is a it is a, a shift to the to the um, identity, if you will. But you know, having somebody right alongside you to go into those those um, places, um, you can joke around with. You can you know, if you run into a challenge, they can mitigate for you. Even me as a as a nonprofit leader, I have people that I'm like, hey, I'm gonna need a buddy. I gotta go to the eye. I gotta go over here to the, to eye doctor. I'm gonna need a buddy. You know, and someone just goes get a book and go and read with me. Tell people how important that is because a lot of times people think that it's about all of this other stuff. Give some vets some some gear or some a, a pat on the back or stuff. Sometimes all of that needs is is an, a, a solid person to look somebody in the eye and say, make sure this vet has what they need, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, right, exactly. I think it comes down from the training itself as well. You know, the thing that people, you know, really don't understand is that you are stripped of your identity, you know, in order for you to be a soldier in the military. You know, the first thing they do, your clothes. Okay, this was hilarious. Okay. I don't know if you remember that old movie called Private Benjamin. Yeah. I was kind of that was me. Privileged. I was private. I was private <laughs> Benjamin, and my yes, that was me. <laughs> yes, my mom took me shopping to go to train. Okay, <laughs> so so here I am. I've got a crazy big suitcase, right? Uh, you know, I've got my like designer jeans and my little pumps, you know, 
They didn't tell me that they let you off, you know. And then you have to walk, you know, to the, you know, to the, what do you call it, the, uh, what do you call it? So, you know, the processing yes. unit or whatever. The first thing they do, yeah, yeah, is take your freaking clothes. I, right. you know, it was so hilarious. I, you know, I freaked out. I'm like, why are you taking my clothes? <laughs> oh, we got some new ones for you, baby. You know, my baby. Oh, yes. You know, they strip you down, you know, so, you know, so they can, you know, mold you into what they want you to. But once you get out of the military, they don't mold you back into being a civilian. Exactly. So it's like, you know, it's like, oh, my God, you know, what am I going to do now? You know, it's like, a, you know, it's like a superhero, you know, not that we're comparing it to superhero, but, you know, it's like if you were a superhero and then you were stripped of your superhero identity, it's like, okay, what, what do I do now? You're listening to WVSJ, the Women's Veterans Social Justice Network. I usually tell people to think about the movie Incredibles. I, I've always felt like the movies in The Incredibles exactly displayed what it was like to be in the military and have people cheering, woo, yay! And then when you leave, they're like, we've got to get rid of these people. Make, they're super, let their, their identity be their only identity. They don't need to be super anymore. And then they're like, put you in an office. I literally worked for an insurance company, so I, for me, it felt very real. Uh, put you in this little cubicle, this little gray room, yes. you know, and, and, and you have to tell people no every day, you know. So it, mm-hmm. it becomes this thing because your identity was on every piece of clothing that you wore. And they yes. took that from you. Your hat told mm-hmm. your, your rank, your, your patch told where you came from, your, your, uh, you know, the type of, <clears throat> Um, you know, the different things that you had on your, on your, uh, uh, cause now they've changed the uniforms from when we were in. So <laughs> I was thinking about that for the listeners who are just getting out. So all of these things, everything told them something. Your name, badge told them your name. In two seconds, if I walked up to you, I knew exactly who you were, exactly mm-hmm. who you've been, who you, who you were gonna be, where you've been, what type of work you did, and, um, whether or not you out, you, had influence over me right away. Mm-hmm. When you mm-hmm. take that uniform off, it's like, okay, now I can't, I don't know what my influence is. What's my name? Where is my name? What do I, t- what do I tell people? <laughs> Who do I tell people that I am? You know what I'm saying? Because think about it. We got people still running around calling themselves general and colonel such and such you you're you you know Mm -hmm. you're no longer in the military yes you're retired Mm -hmm. so and so but that's you know but that that identity is so strong and it doesn't i was only in for three and a half years and if they if it was so strong with me for three and a half years you know that's very strong for people who've been in you know 20 30 40 years and some some folks still working in the government sector because it feels so comfortable to be in that space. So um, it is, peer leaders are are very important. And one of the things that I tell um, communities that want to, um, they say, oh, we want to do something great for the veteran. We want to help veterans. I say the first thing you need to do is train the peer leaders, the people who are mm-hmm. already out here doing the work, advancing the community, you need to invest in them financially so that they can be better, so that they can train up the next level, and then that's going to make the work lighter. But if you just if you just want to give money and just you know with no real social impact over time, 
you know, other than the people that have your swag in their house, to keep doing what you're doing. But we really need the investment into the advocates because WVSJ Network, that's what we've been doing. We've been investing in the advocates because we recognize that by cheering you, cheering you guys on, you know, supporting you and saying, here's the resources, connecting you to the, uh, to the network and, and uh, resources, it makes our work a bit easier and lighter when people are ethically trained, when they're morally, um, you know, full and they have what they need to, to, to not get burned out. So okay, can thanks. you tell, tell us why peer leaders are important? Cause I'll, that's, you know, I'll get on a podium and start talking about that. So. <laughs> Well, you know, because we are like a different, you know, we feel, well, actually, I know, you know, I most definitely feel more better when I'm around a fellow veteran because I know, you know, even though, you know, no matter what branch, I know that they've had shared that similar experience that I have. And, you know, like I was trying to explain to a friend some of the things that are, are definitely no-nos, you know, in the military. And for the life of them, they couldn't comprehend. You know, they're like, I know it's wrong, but we're going to punish you for what? You know, and it's so funny. It's like, yes, because that's a no-no. If you're a leader, you know, you're taking advantage, you know, like, okay, you know, the privatization. Okay, I was trying to explain to them. You can't do that in the military. You know, that's taking a court, you know. And it's like, oh, my God, they would go that deep. I'm like, yes, because you're their leader, you know. Yeah. That's a no-no. You know, and it's, it was hilarious trying to explain it to him because it's like, oh my God, you know, what kind, you know, <laughs> you know, it was like, you know, it was like, you know, like it was like another world to hit them, you know, because they just didn't understand, you know, they didn't grow up around that, you know, right. So, and it was hilarious because they were like, it, you know, and then people, you know, would come to me like, I can't believe you, you know, you joined the military, it's like, uh, duh, why not, you know. <laughs> You know, that's honorable, you know, you know, that's a, you know, that's honor, you know, why wouldn't I, you know? Mm-hmm. It was just, it was just, and, and, the, and the questions that I would get, you know, have you ever killed anybody? Seriously, I don't know, have, have, you know, have you had real questions like that? Well, Jason Moon, who was on the show last, um, last week, uh, he, he does a, he, he's a, he's a artist and he's a singer. He has like, I think a, a thing that he does called Seven Things Not to Ask. A veteran, and yeah. one of and and everything that you said on there, probably, you just now he's got he's you know had to kill somebody. It's like this really these really goofy questions, and and so he goes around the country telling civilians. He sings a song afterwards to make them feel better, I think. But he'll like flat out tell them seven things not to ask a veteran, and so then I guess after they feel like weird because they know they've asked. At, at least ten veterans, six of those things. Then he sings them a song and makes them feel better, and he asks them for money to support his organization. So he's got it. He's got the program down. But he's got it down pat. Where he's doing a great job. He's been doing it. Ten, I think ten, he's been doing it. He's worked ten years as well. So really? uh, yeah. So it'd be great to get you and Jason together because oh, yeah. because we all are doing this. You know, this integrated uh, art. You know, programs and services so that we support the veteran community. And so that's that's a good segue to kind of go into asking you for your call letters and uh, or, you know, how can we find you uh, so that others who are maybe listening who are like, oh, my gosh, you know, I, I, Joyce is perfect. Her program is perfect. We want to get con- and connected with her and collaborate. So tell us okay. um, how we can find you. Well, first of all, um, you can Google my name, Joyce, 
J-O-Y-C-E, Cade Haichi, and some C-A-D-E hyphen H-I-T-C-H-Y-E. You Google me and it'll come up the things that we've been doing, you know, especially, you know, particularly for, you know, the community. Um, I'm on Twitter of Impact Show. Um, we're on Facebook of Impact Show. Um, let's see, we're on um, Google Plus of Impact Show. All of them are of Impact Show. So, um, let me see, what else are we on? Oh, um, Instagram, uh, Snapchat, uh, LinkedIn. LinkedIn has um, a full profile if you look at, you know, again, under Joyce Kate Haichi. And I even have some videos on there, and we have a YouTube channel. Um, the Up Impact Show itself, uh, we haven't done that in a while because I'm um, reformatting it, and I'm putting on, um, it was on Block Talk Radio, we're putting on another form. And so that's what I'm working on right now, and I'm excited because we're going to um, relaunch that in a couple of months. So I would Perfect. welcome you as our first guest on the new Yay. show. <laughs> I'd love to. You know I can talk, so you know I'd love it. <laughs> you know, and I'm gonna I'm gonna um, go back to with, with Jason. See, I'm a little bit of a, a stinker, right? You know, I like to kill yes. people, right? And so the last person who asked me, you know, if I'd ever kill anyone, I looked at her and said, Well, you know, I'd have to kill you then. You know, so, you know, <laughs> right. And the other part, you know, I'm like just kidding, just kidding. <laughs>
great uh, information that she has from her personal experiences and some of the challenges that she's had with, uh, you know, transitioning from the military and being a woman who served. So thank you so much for listening. You can find us at WVSJ Network on both Twitter and Instagram, and you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash for WVSJ Network. Thank you so much for listening. Listen again with us. Uh, we're going to have our next show. We'll be talking to one of our interns who uh, served with us and had a great opportunity to not only intern with us as a student, but then later become an ambassador with the organization. Thank you all for listening, and have a great week. The world being all I could be. God showed me, here is where I'd be.